Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. This morning we're going to continue working through the gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We've been spending the last several weeks in uh, verses uh, 5 to 15 and looking specifically at this idea of prayer. But this morning, we're going to look at an aspect of this passage before we move on into fasting and the rest of chapter 6 that, as I was thinking about this all week, uh, there, there are certain topics where every week you preach, every time you open up the scriptures, you know Man, like, like, God, you've given us the opportunity to preach transcendent, eternal truth. And every word that you've shown us proves true. And at the same time, there are sometimes topics that you come to that you know based upon just living the human experience that are a little more challenging for us. That, 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 that it causes us to reflect on things and sometimes can even scare us a little bit and wonder, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing to wonder, like, God, if you're asking me to do this, to think about this, are you really good in asking me of this, asking this of me? Are you really, do you really want, like, this could harm me. And today is one of those topics, and it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. So I want to read to us just two verses, and we're going to look at a couple different places. But I want to, I want to look at that. I forget, did I put the whole passage in there, 15, 5 to 15? I think I did, didn't I? Yeah, okay, let's read chapters, uh, verses 5 to 15. And we're going to specifically look at 14 and 15 this morning. This is the word of God. And when you pray, you must be, not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Think about those words for a minute. If you forgive others... Your heavenly Father will forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a repeated teaching through the Gospels. If you look at Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus is it's it's in this really amazing moment where Jesus curses this fig tree uh, as he has already come into Jerusalem after uh, 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 Palm Sunday, and he curses this fig tree that looked really good as you from, from as you were away from it, but when you got close, the fig tree didn't bear any fruit, so it looked good, but it was useless, and so he curses it. And he curses this fig tree as, as, a, as a symbolic uh, action against the temple of Israel and against the nation of Israel itself. You look good on the outside, but you are not bearing fruit. And then he, he teaches a little bit on that. And then in verse 25, as he's talking about this, he's, he says this again. He says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Colossians chapter 3 says that we are to forgive as freely as Christ has forgiven us. James says in this whole passage about whether about showing like favoritism to some over others and he uses the idea of if someone rich comes in don't seat them in the prime place and then the beggars you you make them maybe sit in the back he goes no don't show partiality and then he basically and then he says at the end he's like by the way the same measurement that you use with others is the exact same measurement God's going to use with you like these are significant passages that at the end of the day they say what they say and we can try to spin this in ways in our moral therapeutic society that is all about just make me feel good. Make me feel happy. Spin this so that I can walk out and feel good about myself and yet still hate my neighbor. But that's not the wiggle room that the scriptures give to us. And I want to submit to us that it's good. That it's not for your harm. That it is not because God just wants to watch you squirm. And ultimately, it's because of this. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Do you guys understand, like, like grasp that? Forgiveness is at the very heart of the gospel and the God of all the heavens, the maker of heaven and earth, looks at his creation. He looks at people that are made in his image, that have regularly, routinely, purposefully, and joyfully turned to God and given him the middle finger. Who have said, I want to be on my own throne. I don't want you. We have committed absolute anarchist treason to a most holy God. And in that, he extends mercy. The scriptures tell us that God is rich 
in mercy. I was reading one commentary on this just this week. You know, there's only one attribute. I did not know this, to my shame. There's only one attribute that the scriptures say God is rich in. Now, that doesn't mean he, it's because he's not rich in all the others. But I think this, the, the, through the spirit, God wants to teach us something. God is rich in mercy. He is not just this God that sits on this throne with lightning bolts in his hand, waiting to just hurt people, to judge people, to condemn people, to hold them accountable. He looks at us with mercy and knows that we have been wrecked, lost, and ruined by the fall. And yes, he is a judge. And yes, he will render all accounts square in the end. Yes, he will rain down eternal judgment on all who have not embraced Christ as their Savior. Yes, he will. But in the meantime, he has opened up an age of mercy. He has opened up an age of grace because he is a compassionate father who looks at his creation that is ruined and marred and says, my heart is to redeem. My heart is to extend forgiveness. My heart, no matter what you have done, is to come and pay a price for you to bring you back, not just as a citizen, not just as, 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 a, as, as a, so, someone who's been saved, but as a son and a daughter as well. Think about that. And the cost that it took to redeem a people back to himself is the butchering of his own son. And the heart of the son was equally merciful and compassionate to come and lay his life down, not even for friends, but for enemies. Put, let, let that sink deep into your heart. Because I know for me, if I'm left to my own devices, here's what I think. There was something in me that was worthy enough of Jesus to come and do that. There wasn't. Like, I know that's a hard saying to hear in this morally therapeutic, feel-good society. But we will never understand the power and depth of God's love if we do not understand the power and the depth of our rebellion. And yet it is in that God is rich in mercy. It is in that that the love of God is seen in ways that blow our mind. And he is a forgiving, merciful God, and in Christ, all, 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 all of our debt is paid. And we don't have to approach God with our heads held down going, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. Yeah, I know that, that, that you love me. But God, I still can't really look up to you because I still feel shame. I still feel bad. I still, 
God's like, no, don't you understand, dear child? I have made you new. My mercy has redeemed you. And I do not see you and I, uh, as, as, as what your past or your sin has caused you to be or has defined you as. I see you through the lens of my son, Jesus Christ. And I see you holy, blameless, and above reproach. I will not hold you accountable or render to you the judgment that was due. I've forgiven, 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 forgiven. Why? Because Christ says, oh, Father, I paid that price. Oh, I paid that price. And think about this, Jude, the end of the book of Jude, given this beautiful doxology that where it says, now to him who is able to present you before his glorious presence with joy, without a single fault, that's the, so the mercy of God is not a begrudging mercy. It is a joyful, overflowing, rich mercy that brings full redemption where you are not held responsible for the consequences of your own actions and rebellion. Jesus took it all. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. I got to be like, if here is love doesn't move you in your soul, read it again. Because that is world changing truth. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness from above. And so therefore, this call to forgive others rises from our need of God's forgiveness every day. I know that this is a statement that might make some of, and when I first started to grapple with this, it makes me uncomfortable, and I need, you to, I need to confess that. But here's the deal. God looks with pity on you. Compassionate pity. Now, that's not pity like we use pity. I don't know a single man or woman in my life that likes to be told, you know, Clint, I pity you. Does that make you feel good? <laughs> Great, right? You know, Dad, for 20 years I've known you. I've had pity on you. You know, Well, I kind of have because I've been your son-in-law. But that's a different pity. That's a different pity. That's not the pity that God looks with us on. God looks with us with, with, with compassionate pity, not in a demeaning way, but in a longing way to go, I made you for more. I did not want sin to, to, to ruin you like this. I did not want these things to happen to you. And so I will come down and I will bear it all so that I can raise you up and set you among royalty. And so forgiving others rises from our need of God's forgiveness every day. This is why all, you know, back in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray daily, regularly, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why do we do this? Why do we need to pray daily? I think there's a lot of reasons, but for two primary reasons. Number one, because we still sin and live with the burden of sin daily. See, we're not to forgive others from an on-high position. God is the one who forgives us from an on-high position. 
we forgive others as one that has been forgiven. We forgive in a vertical, or I'm sorry, in a horizontal position, surrounded by people who are struggling with the same things and the same thing uh, sins that I am. We're walking in a broken world with broken hearts and a warped body. And so I know that daily I pray, God, forgive me of my trespasses. I need it. Forgive us as a body our trespasses. It's interesting. There's, not, there's a personal application to that, and there's a corporate application for that. The church ain't perfect. I'm not perfect, and I'm a part of a people that's not perfect. But in Christ, we are holy, blameless, without a, without a fault, and forgiven. But we still, Lord God, want to live up to what you've redeemed us for. And we know that we don't. So we pray this daily because we live with, and because uh, we sin and live with the burden of sin daily. And that's true for us individually, and it's true for us as a community. And I think the second reason why we pray, uh, why we pray daily for this is so we never forget our constant need of God's daily mercy. If we ever think we have no need of God's mercy Every single day, you are wandering into perilous ground. At the end of the day, church, we have no other thing to appeal to than the mercy God gives us in Christ. And give, receiving the mercy of God is not something I did once. It's something that I've clinged to and I continually cling to every day of my life. God, I need you. I need your mercy. Please forgive me. Help me. But then we pray that confidently, knowing that he's already got a heart of a father to forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, if any of us sins, we confess those sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Oh, I pray that, that, that this isn't beating you down. I pray this is lifting you up. The mercy of God is amazing. So forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Forgiving others rises from our need of God's forgiveness every day. And that means that extending forgiveness is a non-negotiable command for the king's people. Extending forgiveness is a non-negotiable command for the king's people. Listen to what this parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? <coughs> By the way, I love the apostles. They ask all the questions I'd want to ask. Like, how many times do I got to forgive that dude? Like, can I, can I just, just give me a number so I can fulfill that number and then I could like enact vengeance on that man, <laughs> right? Just give me a number. And Jesus, or, and, and then he even goes, as many as seven times, Lord. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times 7 is a literal translation. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So that the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here's one of the incredible things about this passage. So Peter's like, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus' answer is essentially this. Always, every time. Without measure, forgive. And then he tells this story of a king who has a servant come to him that owes him 10,000 talents. Here's what's significant about that number. He took the highest numbers possible and the highest monetary figure possible and combined them together that basically was this. This servant owed a limitless amount of money to the king. It's, in effect, an eternal debt. It's like he owed $2 trillion to this king. And he forgives him of it all. Reminding us, don't miss the symbolism, that what we have done to our king is synonymous with the 10,000 talents. We owe a limitless debt, an eternal debt that we cannot pay. And the king and his son forgives. But then that servant goes and finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii, not a small sum. A denarii was a, was a daily wage. So this servant was owed 100 days of wages. Significant amount. But compared to 10,000 talents, it's like $2 trillion versus $100. And this servant would not forgive him. And so this servant gets thrown into prison, symbolizing, don't miss the symbolism, eternal punishment. And I think here's one of the important things about this. The moral of the story is we have been forgiven, therefore we extend the same forgiveness to others. And here's the compassionate point that I know we must wrestle with. If someone has committed something to you in life that is 100 denarii worth, that's, that's significant. 
And Jesus does not minimize that. There are people in this room that I know have had people do horrible things to you. People have hurt you in ways that you can't possibly wrap your head around. Jesus is not uncompassionate. Jesus recognized they owe you a debt. I see that debt. I know what you're walking through. But compare that debt to the tremendous forgiveness that God has forgiven you of. And you will see that first and foremost, take the humble posture that your offense to God is greater than any offense man can do to you. Forgiveness must be seen from an eternal perspective, not a temporal one. Because if it's a temporal one alone, 100 denarii might as well be worth $2 trillion. But we must understand we've been forgiven much. And number two, that in being forgiven much, that we can trust God with those that have hurt us. And we can trust him with the hurt that's been done to us. And so as my father has forgiven me, I will extend forgiveness as one who has been forgiven to you, even if that's with a trembling hand, reluctant to let go. Because extending forgiveness shows that we truly belong to Christ. It truly reveals our new nature, which stems from a new heart. It shows that we trust the Lord with all that has been done to us. If you want vengeance for what's been done to you, I will tell you it's been done. And it was poured out on the person of Jesus Christ. If you want blood for what's been done to you, Christ has shed his blood. If you want someone to be ridiculed and mocked for what's been done to you and held accountable for that pain, Christ has been held accountable for that pain. And that person's sins will either be paid on the cross or by the one whose cross they denied. And that account will be square one day. And it shows that we do not take the Lord's forgiveness for granted. But understand that if God can forgive us for the wrongs we have committed, we can certainly forgive those who have wronged us. Now, I am not denying that forgiveness is a process. I am not denying that forgiveness takes time. And I don't think that Jesus is uncompassionate with that either. But as he's done through the whole Sermon on the Mount, this is a heart issue. Is our heart leaned towards, I'm willing to forgive? Or is it closed saying, I will not forgive? If your heart is willing, allow the Spirit to walk you through the process. If your heart is closed, beware. Refusing to forgive others is walking in dangerous territory. This shows our hearts may not be new. 
I know that's a hard word. I love what John Gill said, English theologian. If men who are upon equal foot with each other should not forgive one another, how should it be expected that our Father which is in heaven, who is so much above and in no way obliged us, should forgive us? That's a powerful question. So here's the biggest thing that I want us to ponder. Number one, do you understand as a follower of Christ how much you have been forgiven? Marvel at the God of all mercy with joy. And number two, is your heart postured to forgiveness? No matter what circumstances. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, and God, we know that this is a very challenging word. I know that as I think about this in my own life and many circumstances in my own life, God, that this is a very difficult topic. And God, we thank you that you are a merciful Savior that you are a compassionate Savior, that you are a patient Savior with us. And so, Father, I pray that first and foremost, you would help us to marvel at the rich grace that you've extended to us in your Son. Thank you for forgiving us the 10,000 talents by paying it all on the cross of Christ, that we could be restored back holy and forgiven. And God, I pray that you would help us as your people to have hearts that extend the same forgiveness and mercy that you've shown us. And God, when we feel that we can't help our unbelief, remind us that you're not asking us to do something that is harmful to us, but that is righteous and good and holy. That we can begin to take the first steps of forgiving those that have hurt us so grievously. Whoever they may be and whatever they've done. That we would display to the world that we trust you and we have no other king but you. God, we love you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.